Hello, everybody, and welcome to TeacherCast podcast episode number 107. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't believe that we've gotten up to 107 podcasts. It has been an amazing summertime. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a summer of completely tearing apart the TeacherCast website, redesigning it from scratch, and putting it up. In fact, I want to share with you guys some of the neat features here of the website. We have a brand new design done by our friend Chris Nessie over at the House of EdTech podcast. And uh, somewhere in May, him and I came together with an idea of let's redesign this puppy. Let's condense it. Let's take it from what actually was almost 20 to 22 different WordPress sites and condense it down into one single site. And so through a lot of hard work and labor, we actually were able to do that. And what you're seeing right now is one single website, one single RSS feed that is going to consolidate all of our podcasts, all of our screencasts, all of our blogs, all of our live binders. And on top of that, the one section we're still trying to finish up right now as we go into September is our TeacherCast University, which is going to be absolutely amazing. We're going to have hundreds and hundreds of screencasts available for you. On top of those screencasts, we're going to have all of our online courses. We've got some great online courses on how to use mobile apps, such as Remind. We're going to be talking about how to use green screens. We're going to be talking about how to use Final Cut. And we're going to be talking this summer all about Google and Google Apps. So definitely check out all of these screencasts that we have and stick with TeacherCast. We have some amazing stuff. Of course, every single Sunday night, we have the Tech Educator Podcast, which is live on TeacherCast.tv every Sunday at 7 o'clock Eastern, followed at 8 o'clock by this amazing new show from our friends in Minnesota, Brad Gustafson, called 30 Second Take, which is essentially a really short video show which pins two amazing educators together and you guys get a chance to vote to see which educator makes it onto the next round. We've got five or six episodes down. I got to tell you, Brad is doing an amazing job and he does it all on his iPad using this great app called TouchCast. So if you haven't checked out the new TeacherCast recently, check it out today. Share it with your friends. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Of course, there's several ways that you can connect with us each and every single week here. You know, one of the ways that we got a chance to revamp the website is with your feedback. If you go to teachercast.net slash voicemail, you have the opportunity to leave us a, a personal voicemail saying what you like, what you want to see. You know, quite frankly, a lot of our topics from the Tech Educator podcast come from viewers just like you saying, dude, I want to learn about Google Apps or I want to learn about Final Cut. And we'll find those experts and bring them on for you. You can, of course, find all of the archives for our shows on teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. I want to say thank you. In the last year, we've gotten over 1,200 new subscribers on our YouTube channel. And that is amazing. All of our archives also actually for the first time in three years archived now on Pinterest. So if you're out there on, on Pinterest, you can go to teachercast.net slash pin and you will be taken to our Pinterest board. I, I don't, I gotta be honest. I don't understand Pinterest, but in the last two weeks, we've gained over a hundred new followers on Pinterest and we're pulling things like iTunes stuff. We're pulling things like blogs. We're pulling wikis. We're pulling Google apps stuff. And also if you're a fan of things like once upon a time, We've got Once Upon a Time stuff out there. We are really super excited for that. So check us out on TeacherCast.net. My guests this week are some amazing educators. We're going to be talking all about one-to-one -one education. And let me have them introduce themselves, starting with Casey. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. So my name is Casey. I teach at Philadelphia Performing Arts, a string theory charter school. I teach high school English, and we are a one-to-one -one school. So each student gets an iPad, and that's their primary and only learning tool. And as teachers, we create all content, so there's no textbooks. We create all the content, and we push it out to students through iTunes U. I'm going into my eighth year teaching. This will be my second year teaching at this school. Previously, I taught outside of Boston um, and in the Philadelphia suburbs, and I'm thrilled to have found a home um, at Philadelphia Performing Arts. Thank you so much for being here. Our next, Jenny Graybeck. Hey, I'm Jenny, a director of instructional technology at a K-12 private school for students with learning disabilities who um, have average to above average IQs. Uh, they have to uh, apply to be at our school, and when they start at our school, they get handed either an iPad or a MacBook based on what grade level they're in. Our K-4 through students are one-to-one -one iPad, and our grades 5 through 12 students are one-to-one -one MacBook Air. Nice. Um, we don't believe in um, that technology is the only tool. We are actually very much a balanced school where we're, um, we've got binders still, we've got folders, we've got chalk in our classrooms, not really chalk, but we have dry erase markers and whiteboards still. And um, our students do have this tried and true methodolo methodology in the classroom that works really well for them. And so when I started a year ago, it was very difficult for the teachers to even envision technology at all in the classroom because they were used to manipulatives and they're used to pencil and paper. And so we've gotten to this mode this year, um, starting off the next school year, is where we're very balanced. And if the technology is not the right tool, we are not going to utilize it. So we still have some paper textbooks, but we have moved mostly into the digital textbooks. Nice. And it's so nice to hear that you know, and we're going to talk about this later, that textbooks do exist in a one-to-one -one classroom. That is really, really good to hear. Sam Patterson, introduce yourself. I'm Sam Patterson. I'm a K-5 tech integration specialist at a K-8 private school. We have one-to-one -one iPads in kindergarten or in sixth grade through eighth grade. And we have class sets of iPads that are available for shared use grades kindergarten through fifth grade. Nice. Thank you guys so much for coming on here. You know, you know I got to say, Sam, I can't believe we've gotten up to the 107th uh, TeacherCast podcast. Thank you guys out there one more time for watching and supporting the channel. I, I want to start off with this basic question here, but what is your definition of a one-to-one -one program? So each student has a device um, as the school gives the student the device. So for our school, it's an iPad. So each student is matched with an iPad. And for us, this, the iPad, um, as long as the students are in school, the iPad is matched with the students. So the students have it all day during instruction. Um, they take it home with them, and um, they're able to do all of their homework and classwork, projects, everything on the device. And, and Jenny, I know I, I want to start with this right away, but the idea of one-to-one -one just means one student, one device. But it doesn't mean that tech has to happen 100%. The idea of traditional teaching and traditional learning, whether it be with marker boards, chalk, uh, textbooks, that still has to exist in a one-to-one -one environment. It does. And um, I have learned a lot in the past year because I was hardcore, 100% paperless. I was coming into the school thinking, oh, we have Apple TVs in every classroom. We have iPads. We have MacBooks. We're going to be a digital school. And I totally missed the point of their mission and their vision when I first started. And it was 
that they teach a certain way to students who have learning disabilities. They have these kids have dyslexia, and a lot of times there's there's you know a, a proven way to teach them. But when I came in and said, "Here, use this iPad," it's not meant to replace what teachers are already doing really well. Um, it is meant to enhance what they're doing, but also give the students a different way to learn in that they are now creating a lot of the content instead of their teachers creating it for them. Um, it's letting them take the experiences that they have and the learning that they have in the classroom and put together student-created content. So we're, we're big on that, just letting the students create things that they're proud of. And that has shown um, a drastic improvement in their speaking and listening skills. We've seen that. You know, it's really hard to measure if technology has a huge impact. Um, we're trying to measure um, the same way that we always have and see how technology helps our students just feel more empowered and more comfortable in the classroom. And we've seen a big improvement just in the past year. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, this whole concept of technology impacting the students and impacting the learning here. One of the questions that always comes up when looking into a one-to-one -one program is what tech to do. And there are some that suggest Chromebooks. There are some that suggest every kid needs an iPad. Sam, I know you're one that suggests every kid needs a puppet. What <laughs> is the best way to determine the right technology? Should the administrators be asking the teachers? Should they be forcing uh, Google versus Apple? Can you do? A, can you be a Google school but use iPads? Um, what do you guys think? Well, in, at our school site, that's exactly us. We're a Google school using iPads, um, and we're pretty much using iPads all over the place, and we're slowly getting rid of our computer labs. We had two desktop PC labs last year, and now we're down to one. Uh, it's challenging, though, because as we're trying to get rid of these you know, desktop-based keyboard-present machines, there's still a lot of call for document creation. There's still a lot of people who aren't completely comfortable with document creation on the iPads. One of the things that we bought this year was we bought a bunch of portable keyboards to try and extend the use of our iPads more towards document creation. I think that whatever you do, you have to think pretty thoughtfully about what kind of work you want your students to be able to do and what kind of tool is going to best get them to do that work. Now, Casey, you were saying that your school has a mixed program where they go from iPads to MacBooks. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys made that decision and why you drew the line where you did? We're, so the students, the only tool the students have are iPads. So if I said Mac, MacBooks, that was... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Am I getting them confused? That was me. Sorry. Um, the teachers have MacBooks. We create a lot of our content on MacBooks, but the students use iPads. Um, but I can just talk a little bit about how that's worked, um, just from what Please. I've seen in the past year. So the students are able to create all of their content on the MacBook, whether it's a, a written assignment um, or it's a project based um, in an app or whether they're annotating and documenting a PDF. So we've learned a lot about workflow. Um, We've learned about how to, how to push our content out through the students, through iTunes U. Um, we pretty much save all of our, uh, we attach all of our content as PDFs and have the students download it um, and annotate it through UPad. Um, you can also do it through Notability and other apps. 
Um, and, and then we've given them what I've learned, especially in, over the end of the school year last year, was to give them as much choice as possible when we're giving them assignment and we're checking for understanding. Um, part of the fun has been to give them a question and to have them discover how to answer it. So if we were going to have them figure out or ask them to document the parts of, of elements of a, of a fictional story, so the plot and the setting and the characterization, what apps could they use to help uh, to help show their understanding? And students that use everything from iMovie to um, to explain everything to a combination of app smashing, and that was really exciting, giving them the choice and giving them the freedom. And, and one thing we did towards the end of the year was actually opened up the app store so they could find the app they wanted to use, download it, and then explain it. And then part of the assignment was they had to explain their choice and how it worked and how it helped them show their understanding. So that was all really exciting. And just in terms of the writing aspect from an English teacher, you know, we had some concerns, well, were they going to be able to type fast enough and how would pages work and how would that work with, with Google Docs and sharing and everything. And a lot of the time students found it easiest to type in the Pages app and then to turn in their written assignments through um, as a Google, as a shared Google Doc. And then as a teacher, I could give them comments and they would receive them immediately. And that's all worked seamlessly. Um, this year, we're going to have an added computer lab where the students will have access to MacBooks, or sorry, to just regular Macs to type papers um, and to do some extended research. And we'll see how that works just as a supplement. But they were able to do everything we imagined and even more. Um, and I would say opening up the App Store was what really opened up a lot of doors for us. So one of the things that you were saying was giving the students choice about you know, how they're showing their understanding. Are they always sharing it with the same audience? Do you get them an audience beyond what's immediately available in the school? How do you, I know that as a teacher, often it's difficult to tell when something, you know, is good enough or when it's working or when you draw that standard. And I've found with my students, if I can get them to have an audience outside of our school, the work they do ends up being a lot better because they're really vested in sharing the product they're making. That's something I'm really excited to try this year. So I'm looking forward to kind of putting a, a collection of some of the best work together in an iBook and publishing that and then to just doing some Socratic seminars and some, um, some digital conversations um, and maybe correspondence with classrooms, um, you know, in our area and across the country and um, maybe we'll even be able to make some international connections as well. So those are some things we're definitely going to try this year, but I think um, using the, these tools to, to break the boundaries of the classroom is a really is really exciting. We're looking forward to that. You know, Casey was talking about some of the great uh, lessons that she's doing. She had mentioned that her kids are using apps like Pages and and iTunes and and, and using the combination of Apple products and Google Docs. Um, yes. Jenny, you recently were on our Tech Educators show talking to us about school districts creating courses with iTunes University. Could you give us a little idea for those who didn't catch that show of what is iTunes U and how a school district might get involved in that? Yep, so we have an iTunes U public site, which is where we post all of our student created content. We'll take you know special projects that they do throughout the year and we'll make a collection on the public site. So what's nice about having a public site is that about two years ago, Apple opened up iTunes U University to schools that are K through 12 and also um, institutions. So you had where there used to be just higher education, you had you know, Stanford, you had Harvard, people like that. You had those types of schools where they shared lectures, 
um, they now opened it up to schools who wanted to promote what they were doing in their own um, environments. So we jumped right on that because there were many benefits such as unlimited content. You can put as much video, PDF, books, you know, made an iBooks author on it and you don't have to worry about hosting. Apple hosts host all of it. Um, so that is one nice benefit of that. And then we can have contributors go in and do podcasts if we wanted to. We started off very small this year where we had our animation club creating different animations and they put those into a collection. We had our seventh graders this year. We had a new teacher and she was all gung-ho about learning iBooks author. And so basically she learned it with her seventh grade students this past year. She didn't know anything about it and she was awesome and said, you know, let's learn it together. And so the kids were Googling, you know, different ways to use it. Um, they were watching tutorials all together in class. And they came up with a book that had all of the different um, modes of writing or the elements of writing. So I think that's right, Casey. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like narratives and expository. Yeah, genres of writing, sure. Okay, good. So I got that right. So they took all of that that they had learned to write throughout the year and made it into a book in iBooks Author. And then we that's... published that into iTunes U. That's some of the stuff that I'm most excited about this year. I went to a couple conferences this summer and I got to listen to Jonathan Smith share uh, one time about the iBooks author work that he's done. And he's worked with kids pre-K through 12th grade to make books in iBooks author. Um, he started with, with a fifth grade special ed class and they were having a lot of issues with socialization and that's mainly why they were in this class. Mm -hmm. So they made a book about social skills. like. He's like, I had to make a book about something they were bad at, and they really got excited about it because they could include <laughs> video in the book, and it felt real to them because it was something they knew they needed to do better with, so making a book for someone else really helped. They even got the bus driver involved, so they made a book about social skills on the bus, and the bus driver really got into it. He was like, no, 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 you kids weren't acting like you normally act. I'm going to come back around, and you guys are going to act like crazy fools because you always act like crazy fools when you're on the bus. So that was um, kind of amazing. And once you, you get to the point where you're like, no, this is a book and it's going to be you know, on iBooks, they, they can really get behind that. Yeah, it, it takes them to another level when they know that it's going to be out there for the world to see versus just their teacher. We know this already, that they're going to put more effort into it. Um, we also did the same thing with our fourth grade students. We really piloted our MacBook program and our iPad program between fourth and seventh grade last year. And so our fourth grade students really took the lead and they were using Book Creator on the iPad, which I'm sure Casey knows that's an amazing app, very easy to use. If you hate, if you have someone who hates technology, hates their iPad, just give them Book Creator on an iPad and say, look at how easy it is because I've worked with oh, people who so do not like iPads like they think it's it's difficult to use an iPad and I'll show them book creator and they are so excited to use it in the classroom I mean just that app on an iPad is so powerful because it's easy to use and it's, yeah. it's you can use it in so many ways yeah so our for our final project we had students one of the, the, the earlier parts I just described they had today were able to read a fictional novel of their choice and they read it um, with a group in a literature circle. And so their, one of the first steps was finding the elements of the, of the story, about the elements of fiction, and, and documenting them in an app of their choice. But then they had to rewrite a scene, and they had to add a character, and then they had to analyze how their addition um, changed the elements of the story. And they had to, we suggested that they use Book Creator, but they were able to use any app they wanted. But for the rewrite of their book, they used Book Creator. 
And if you'd like to see, I can show you uh, just what one of their, so for perks of being a wallflower, let me pull it up. While she's doing that, let me pose this question here because this also comes up in, in many one-to-one -one circles. Quite often, the decision of going one-to-one and what tech to use one-to-one -one isn't really in the hands of the school district. It's actually in the hands of the state testing. For instance, with the park test, you need to be able to use your computer. You need to have a screen that's X number of inches. You need to be able to do these skills. And many school districts are finding that iPads may not be the answer. It may have to be something with a built-in keyboard. What grade levels do you feel need certain technologies i mean i i kind of go off the belief that pre-k k first grade even second grade ipads are better than chromebooks but when you get to the middle school and you are doing google apps maybe chromebooks are better than ipads does anybody have any ideas or any thoughts on on what tech that you know in a perfect society what tech they would place at each grade well, at our school, we did go K through four iPads and grades five through 12 MacBooks because of all of the typing. That was the reason why is because the students would be writing essays. They would be analyzing a text and possibly typing a lot of words and sentences and paragraphs. So they didn't want students to have to worry about the virtual keyboard and having to basically text type um, when they're having to do all of that writing. And so to me, if you could choose one or the other, I would choose iPad, but in listening to the reasons with by the, te the teachers that made sense, was there's going to be a lot of typing and we don't want them held back um, by the iPad. But to me, the iPad and the apps are where it's at in the classroom, K through 12. I mean, right. Sa <laughs> Sam, what do, you, what do you think about all that? I mean, we, we're talking about iPads and apps at the same time, we're also talking about Google Apps and Google add-ons. I mean, we just did a show about doing video production on Google Apps versus using iMovie. Where, where do you stay? Because as you said, you're using iPads and now you're going back to rebuy keyboards. Right. You know, and it's, it's when we started with the iPads and we started saying we're going to do more tech in class, everyone was like, oh my goodness, what about typing? Um, and it was like a serious concern. Yeah. So, you know, you have to address that. But it's interesting because a lot of what we're doing in today's technology class, we weren't doing three years ago in technology class. Three years ago in technology class, we were doing introduction to computer science. How does hardware work? How does machine language work? What is code? But now instead of spending time on learning what is code, we're building a presentation in Scratch. We're applying the technology more than learning about it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have access to the tech all of the time. Before, you had to leave your learning environment, go to the technology room, and then you would learn about technology because that was really the only thing in the technology room was the technology. But now you've got the iPad in class, so instead of coming in and saying, okay, kids, today we're going to learn how uh, tablet works, I walk in and say, okay, kids, today we're going to use the camera in your tablet to talk about what we learned in science yesterday. What did you learn in science yesterday? Let's take some pictures that show that. And we're applying things, we're building content, we're empowering the kids to be creators of digital content instead of learning more about how the thing they're using was built. Yeah, I, I echo both of those sentiments. And what Jenny was saying, um, just with the, the perks and the benefits of the iPad and what you can do with the apps, I 
a year ago, I, um, I did not know very much about iPads at all. And what I learned in the past year was just the wonders of the apps and all of the extensions you can do with them, the higher level critical thinking they can promote. And just watching the kids on a daily basis type using the iPad, um, I was surprised how easy it was for them and how it didn't hold them back. And the more they typed, the easier it became. And it was, it was second nature to them. So that was nice to see. You know, it is interesting, though, because, uh, you know, we're, there's a lot of these apps right now that are out there trying to teach typing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we're recording this, there was an app that came out in the last week or so actually written by Tom Hanks. I don't know if it was written by Tom Hanks, but it was, yeah. it was p- produced by Tom Hanks. And it's called Hanks Writer, H-A-N-X Writer. And essentially it, it was a free app. And essentially it's an old time typewriter. It's got the old time fonts and you open it up. It looks like a typewriter. And as you're typing, you know, the thing goes through and then you hit enter and it goes back. Jenny's sitting there laughing at this. It is the neatest little (laughs) app, but it teaches you typing. And then when you hit the back button, it has, you know, the little whiteout comes out and stuff. Really, really neat stuff out there. But it really does come up with, you know, typing is essential. I know I still believe that writing in cursive is essential. But it is nice to see some of these apps that come out that really just focus not on the bells and whistles of video production, but really just gets into what is a sentence and what is a you know, subject and verb agreement here. Um, Casey, do you, do you have that thing to pull up that you were going to show yeah, us? Yeah, I do. I awesome. do. I'm ready. I didn't want to just push, push it up. Go for it. Okay. Do you see it? I, I see Sam. Hold on. There we go. Okay. So this student read, and he read it with a partner, The Time Traveler's Wife. And so this is kind of what the the cover and book creator looks like. And then click on it, and you can open it. Sorry about that. And so he was able to write um, his edition, and then we could also, he could insert images, and he could also record his voice reading the story. I am in a park not too far away from my house on a Friday afternoon. So just you can kind of get a I sense. Get away from my and uh, so he was able to bring in voice and images and the writing, and Book Creator helped him do that. So that was nice to, to see. And I think just, you know, the combination of the words and the recording and the story just made it more meaningful and brought it to life. And then as the when I was grading these and opening them, they came into me. They turned them in through Edmodo, and then I could open them up in iBooks. And now, so they're all saved in my iBooks on my computer. Say that one more time, because that was actually the next question I was going to ask. So the kids are creating all of these different things on their devices that they have, and then they were uploading it to Edmodo. So there was an export in there, and then you were taking those into your iPad and grading it. So, it, was, it, it was easier for me to read on my computer, but I could open it if I wanted to, either on the iPad or the MacBook Air, um, and then save it. And now they're all the ones, you know, the, the ones I wanted to save for future for models are saved in my iBooks collection. And so everything transferred um, through Book Creator. So the images, the voice, the recording, the fonts, everything was saved perfectly. Um, and it worked really well. And if you didn't have a device like Edmodo, what are there other ways for you to collect all the students' work? 
Um, e email. Um, I believe it would work. I think it would work in Google Drive as a shared document. I'm not 100% sure if the voice recording would go through that way, but okay. everything else should. And maybe you can help us out. Maybe we can put this in the show notes, but what, are there rubrics out there that you use? I mean, are you grading the book? Are you going into the book and saying, hey, you have a spelling mistake? Or do, they, do, do the students get a sheet of paper that says, hey, on page 12, you could have made this bigger? Or... So, so, that's, so I can talk about all that. So when we're distributing the assignments, um, we – let me pull it up in our – let me talk for a second and then I'll pull it up. So in our iTunes U course, we give out the course, the, the, the project assignment, the description, and then we kind of have our list of calls to action, um, what they need to do to complete the assignment. And it, as part of that, it's to download the rubric. And we always try to give that out first so the students can see what they need to do and how they're going to be assessed. Um, and so part of that for us as English teachers is definitely spelling and mechanics. But part of this assignment was this was one of their final projects of the year. So we wanted to make sure that not only did they understand the elements of fiction, but could they manipulate them and could they evaluate them and could they make them their own, their original content and talk about the changes as well. So we tried to promote that higher level thinking. Um, so let me, if someone else wants to talk for a second, I can kind of pull up our actual rubric for this assignment and show you how the students would get that. Sam, as somebody who talks to students and teachers of all grade levels, what are you seeing out there? I know you just got done doing uh, Google Teacher Academy, but what are the apps that you're seeing people gravitating to, or what are the functions of Google that people seem to be gravitating toward in the older grade levels as they prepare for college? Well, you know, I think that there's a lot of kind of just the standard Google suite of docs and numbers and, or not numbers, sheets. Yeah, docs and sheets as far as the Google thing uh, because they just need to be good at creating a paper for English class, a paper for history class, etc. But I think where you're really seeing kind of the explosion is just more people are using videos. They're realizing how much easier video is to create now than it's ever been. Uh, the Book Creator app, that's also available on the Nexus tablet. So I've seen that all over the place, especially this summer. It's really kind of come of age to the point where it's an incredibly useful thing, and it's exactly, it's our digital canvas. Like, I think we've been promised a digital canvas for a long time where it could be any size and it could hold any type of content. Well, Book Creator app actually allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um and now you're going to see teachers essentially trying to catch up to the possibilities that the technology affords us. You know, we've always had students write papers. Oh, we're going to read a book, we're going to write a paper. We're going to read a book, write a paper. Why? Because the main thing our computers did was allowed us to write a paper. But now we can do stop motion animation. We can create movies. We can create cell-by-cell -cell animation. We can use uh, Google presentation to build an entire animated movie if we wanted to. Um, so really it's about getting teachers to see these possibilities, try them themselves. Like in Casey, in your situation where you're all technology and your teachers are all expected to deliver their own content, that's intense. Yes, I think, it is. I think that it's really awesome when teachers decide, hey, I am going to be a creator of digital content because that empowers kids. It gets them to say, hey, I can do that. And, you know, when you're as slack-jawed about it as I am, the kids are like, I can do better. And I actually think of that as part of like my mission. It's whole, this whole thing of avoid perfection because I yeah. could put a million hours into something or I could get it good enough so the kids can understand it and think, you know, I can do even better than that crazy old man. Yes. 
definitely. Yeah, earlier this year, I would say, you know, it'll be a year ago in October, the teachers were kind of learning some design elements and how to create interactive keynotes. And as we were creating the keynotes, we made, or I made one of the assignments for the students just to create one slide and to think about, you know, how to work with the opacity and how to work with the reflection and how to work with all of those little parts of the keynotes to bring the assignment to life. So as I was learning, they were learning and we taught each other, definitely. Do you have that rubric? Yeah, definitely. So this is what it would look like. This is what the students would see in iTunes U. Um, so this would be their post, so the Literature Circle Summative Assessment. And then underneath that are their assignments. So here's the rubric. So they would click on it and download it. And so these, uh, so we were looking for the narrative elements. So could they change the narrative elements? And did their changes show an understanding? Did they create a new character and develop the character? Um, and then their app presentation. So we wanted them to choose an app that used um, multimedia. So Book Creator works perfectly because they could put in their voice and images and the writing. Um, and some students used Keynote. Some students used iMovie. Some students did an app smash and did some creating in, in UPad and brought and then input that, input that to explain everything and then added that to an iMovie. So they, they played around with it and got creative. Um, we were looking for grammar and mechanics and then just overall creativity and effort. And so when we are grading these and assessing them, you know, some teachers print them out. And so I guess that would be one instance where we do use paper and circle them and give them to the students. But towards the end of the year, I was just opening these up in UPad. Um, and I can show you just what that would look like. So we would open it up in UPad. Then I would do the actual grading and then airdrop it to the student in class. So. You know, they would see their marks, and I would write a couple comments on the side and airdrop it to them, and they would get it immediately. That looks pretty pretty simple and easy to do. Yes, definitely. It worked well for us. And then you you obviously would then have 30 copies. You, you would obviously have a, you keep a copy of that. Yes. And so the, once, once it's on my iPad, it's there, and I can save it. And then I can save them all once they're on my iPad in Google Drive in my folder for that class. Nice. Yeah. Let's shift our attentions away from the classroom ideas and let's talk more about just getting teachers to buy in because a lot of administrators right now with good intentions are saying we want to go one to one or we are going one to one and they're looking at a staff going I'm so busy I've got standardized testing I've got this I've got that and now you're going to throw all this technology on me does the Wi-Fi work does all this stuff happen what does an administrator need to do or what does a school district need to do to really get teacher buy-in? And, you know, Sam, I want to start with you here. What do we need to do to professionally develop or to do pro to do professional development on teachers to get them to learn this? Should this happen ahead of the rollout or should we all start on September 1 and say, here's the iPad, go have fun? Sam, you're quiet. There we go, right? Yep. Yes. Okay, I think you need to have a lot of support available at every step along the way. Um, you'll have some teachers that are super excited, and the year before you do the rollout, you want to know who those teachers are, what they're already doing, and you want to enlist them as head cheerleaders and coaches so that, you know, as it becomes required, you've already got people who have been doing good stuff, who can show good models, and have worked through a lot of the problems themselves, and that you can really recruit to be your support team. Everybody on staff needs to have a tech buddy to look to, basically, because 
it's challenging to essentially say to teachers, look, I understand that all of you are were hired for the job you're doing because you're experts in your field. You know, you know a whole lot about being an orchestra conductor. You've gone to school to be an orchestra conductor. You have learned all kinds of things about orchestra. You have studied in your spare time about orchestra. Now I need you to also teach this technology, which you know nothing about, you haven't studied for, and you're still going to be assessed the same on as your orchestra knowledge. And that makes teachers uncomfortable. So you have to find ways to support them in that, to say, look, we know we're asking you to engage in this crazy experiment where suddenly you don't know what you're teaching in your classroom, but here's how you find help, here's how you enlist students to help, here are the habits of mind that are going to help get you through this, and that you need to help your students adjust to. Because, like, you know, if you are a technology-based classroom and you walk in expecting it to work right every day, you're bound to be disappointed. If you're expected for it to be a little bit different every day and sometimes you're not sure what's going on and sometimes you guys, you're, you and your students are going to have to figure it out col collaboratively, you're going to have a lot of reward there because you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out collaboratively. Um, but it's challenging because at the end of the day, like there are teachers that have to do this. They are required to use this learning management system or this device and to change the way they're teaching. And change is hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's been really hard for um, some of the teachers on our staff who have been at our school for 30 years, and they've done, they've taught the same way for that long, and that is not a bad thing. They're very good teachers, and their method has worked, but they've not had these tools in the classroom until now, and that changes things, right? And so what we did is um, the first year, which was last school year, we rolled out iPads and than MacBooks just to teachers. We did not have any expectation that they needed to use them in the classroom. We didn't say you're going to be evaluated on this. We didn't say, you know, you have to use these with your students or you have to use these for planning. What we did is we we did baby steps with everyone. We said the first step is getting comfortable with this device. The second step is learning how to use Google Drive. And that was basically it. We said, we want you to move your networked folders that were on your PCs. We want you to move those files onto Google Drive and start collaborating with your team in shared documents in Google. And so we did, you know, review certain apps and we said, you know, here's what can be done with apps, here's what can be done with tools. But we did not say, teachers, you have to be doing this in the classroom. And I think that was huge for them because it was more of, a choice they could decide whether or not they wanted to implement and it was not forced on them um, what we found was that everyone wanted to jump on the bandwagon and they wanted to get started right away so we did not intend to have any um, student iPads at all and what we ended up doing is we got requests by our second grade teachers to go one-to-one -one early then our third grade our fourth grade and also our fifth grade all went one-to-one -one last year because they couldn't wait to try out what they had learned on their own devices in the classroom. They were craving it. I mean, I got basically begged, and I'm like, you know what, we're not really ready for this, guys, but, you know, we made it work, and, you know, I went into the classrooms as much as I could and worked with the students and worked with the teachers and, and co-taught with them, and it was a great experience. There was some stress, you know, because some teachers felt like they weren't ready, and other teachers were, so it was a little bit of peer pressure, I felt, um, but it ended up being a good thing, and that the teachers who were 
a little bit scared had their mentors on their own grade level that walked them through it. We had one teacher especially who, you know, she was just constantly going into the other teachers' classrooms and saying, look what I found, you know, look what we did in our class, how can I help you? You know, she was, a, she was basically doing what I needed to do and, and when I couldn't to really support her grade level. She was a great mentor where I couldn't be for that, for that team. And I feel that's why our first year was successful was because we did not require it. It was not a forced thing, and we didn't do too much at one time. It's very gradual, and for some people it was too fast, but for the majority it was just enough. Casey, I see you over there shaking your head and nodding in agreement. Do you have something similar here? No, I was nodding because my school did it the complete opposite way, but um, kind of because the situation was so different. So string theory started as a high school last year, as brand new. So we, they had Philadelphia Performing Arts had already been a grade school and a middle school, but last year we started off with just ninth grade, and all the teachers were new. Um, everyone was just coming together. So it was this amazing golden opportunity. If we were going to do this big step, we were all going to jump in, and we were all going to do it together. Um, but you know, thinking about how that would have been different had we already been there, you know, I'm agreeing with it, with everything that was just said. So because we were, were in this new um, opportunity, I would say these were the things that really made it work for us. So Christine DePaulo, our innovation specialist, um, was there for everyone every day offering one-to-one -one support. And her passion is contagious. So I didn't, like last year, one year ago, I didn't really, I maybe held an iPad once. I didn't know a lot about it. But because she was so eager and so energetic, and she had so much knowledge to share, she got me excited about it. So um, just having that support. And then our team meeting. So the way that our school is set up, each department meets collaboratively. For We have two planning periods a day, and one of those planning periods is with our department team. So we have 51 minutes, and we sit together, and we write the curriculum. We go back, and we revise, and we plan ahead. We plan for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next unit. And during those meetings, we have Christine, the innovation specialist, come in, and our curriculum specialist come in as well. So they push into those meetings, and they're there to support us, to help us build our courses, uh, and for inspiration and constant feedback. And so that support also helped tremendously. And just having that team, that collaborative nature, no one was in it alone. So that was really helpful. Um, our, one of our school's motto is to just move towards the fear and to not be afraid to make a mistake. And just having that as our philosophy was also helpful and reassuring. And it, like someone said earlier, the idea of perfection, no one expected anything to be perfect. Everyone knew it was just our first attempt. So we were just expected to do our best. And, um, and we were each other. So I would say those would be the biggest things that, that helped us succeed. You know, Sam, it looks like this concept of mentoring – and professional support is one of those things that no matter if you're doing it option A or option B, it is needed. And I know in your school district, you're using WACA to help with that support because there are a lot of teachers out there that are like, all right, I have to do this, but I don't know how to do this or I'm really scared to do this. I mean, you know, I was telling you recently I went up and did PD at a school where the majority of the people there had never touched technology before and they're going into a system where their administrators walking in saying, we're going to go Google Apps. They didn't know where the on button was on their Chromebooks. But you're coming up with a way to, easy, to, to make that easier um, with the philosophy, I guess, that puppets are magic. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with, with Waka. 
Well, you know, Waka actually came out of my own work doing my own tech integration because I was making videos and I hated to put my face in them. So I could just put Waka's face and uh, that was a lot better. And I, I like the video better with his face in it anyway. And um, it's funny because, you know, I just bring him in for a little bit and it's kind of a reminder of how much fun we can have in this medium. Like, as a teacher, I am not comfortable making video. I did not get into teaching English because I love making video. But if I think about it, did I learn a whole lot of what I know about reading by watching television shows that encouraged reading and did literacy skill support? I really did. And some of them had puppets in it and, you know, Mr. Rogers, uh, Sesame Street, etc. right? So really, there's a lot in this field that, okay, I didn't have access to three years ago because the tech wasn't there yet. But now I can have an entire television studio essentially in my iPad, green screen and all. So with all of that at my disposal, what will I do with it? Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, a neat jumping off point to think, oh, yeah, I could use a puppet and I could, you know, have a conversation with yourself. I could. You could sing a song. I'm not singing a song right now. Oh, you know, um, but yeah. And, and what have you seen change? I mean, are our teachers and our students more uh, adapted to listening to the puppet? I mean, you, I, I, I'm going to say, I noticed this even in your ISTE interviews where the person starts off looking at you and then at the end of the interview, they're looking at the puppet. And I got to tell you, if you watch some of the teacher cast shows, I'm doing the same thing. Right, right, right. Um, it, it is funny because it just does make it more fun and more accessible. Um, and I think that as teachers, we spend a lot of our time feeling like we're under a lot of scrutiny and there's the weight of, you know, all of the future of everyone depends on everything all the time. And that can get kind of heavy. But, you know, there's a lot of fun that you can have as a teacher. And I find that fun builds relationships between me and whoever my students are. Um, so it's really kind of, I think the puppet is disarming. Go ahead, say it. I'm disarming and I'm beautiful. Tell him I'm beautiful. He's, he's definitely disarming. You know, he's a charming little guy and tell him I'm beautiful. And, you know, I think that helps a lot. You're not going to tell him, are you? And, you know, it just kind of changes the vibe, if you will. Just so we're clear, you're saying the puppet is disarming, but he appears to be unarmed. I have my arm. It's over here. Oh, sorry. He's one arming. I understand now. Let's shift a little bit away from the puppet because he's had his five minutes of fame here. Let's talk about resources. Jenny, as an Apple Distinguished Educator, what resources are available for people who are looking to either bring in, you know, one-to-one -one iPad, uh, whatever? Um, what Apple resources are available out there for people? And please speak slowly so Sam can take down every single link you say. <laughs> well, what you want to do first is you want to find out who your sales rep is um, because that is the first um, step in figuring out what the best option is for your school. That person will come in with a development executive. Um, they're known as Apple DEs. Um, I don't really have a link to them. You can basically just call Apple and they'll hook you up with the right people for your region. So an Apple development executive basically will come to your school and talk to you about what happens in schools that go Apple. They'll maybe take you to site visits, 
different schools that are using the products and say, you know, this is what it looks like. Um, are you still interested? You know, and they'll talk through what are what's your mission? What's what are your objectives? Not just yeah, sure, go buy some iPads. You know, it's it's a real relationship between that person and the school. Usually, an administrator and a teacher team to decide what's best for the school, what options they have, and then to provide them with professional development if they need it. So there, Apple does provide a lot in the terms of people resources. And, you know, there's so many free tools as well. If you go into iTunes U, you can see all that people are creating for the Apple environment. So I would just say contact Apple and figure out who your person is and have a conversation with them before you even start thinking about budget or any type of money dropping at all. And I'll even piggyback on there. Call Apple before you purchase your stuff. I know I've been working with an Apple dealer um, for a school district that I do consulting with, and they were very easy to tip me off and say, look, you know, early February is a good time to purchase things. They run specials. Late in May is a good time to purchase things. They always run specials. Um, you know, don't look. It's it's easy to say I want to buy the latest and greatest. Unfortunately, Apple likes to bring their stuff out in September or October, which is after budget season, which is after buying season. So don't feel bad if you're buying the last year's stuff because you don't need the twenty thousand, you know, the two thousand and fifteen iMac that comes out. You can use the, you know, you can you can save a couple bucks and still get some really really cool stuff. Sam, I know you just got back from Google training. Tell us a little bit about some of the resources you found for school districts that either want to go one to one Chromebooks or are just simply thinking about going into the Google Apps for Education ecosystem. And do it with your microphone on. Sorry, if you're one-to-one -one Chromebooks or you're one-to-one -one, uh, Nexus tablets or Android tablets, you can use the uh, Google Play for Education, and that is an environment that allows teachers to push apps to students and to manage devices. So I'm really impressed with their uh, device management protocol because it allows you to do it either at a building level or a teacher level, giving the teacher a lot of control as to what the students have access to. Um, the choice of apps is not the same, certainly, as the Apple environment, but, you know, it's, it is catching up. For Google Apps for Education, uh, in the world of iPads, we have our Drive app, and we have our Docs app, and we have our Sheets app, and we eagerly await a presentation app or, you know, a app that will actually let us do something with tables, but we don't get that yet. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. There are limitations. So, you know, there's not, you can't do everything through Google. I think if you're working on a Chromebook, you have access to a wider range of native Google tools than you do anywhere else. Uh, but for my school site, the flexibility and versatility of the iPad has been really great. The fact that we can use all of the basic Google tools in the Google Apps for Education has definitely made that a worthwhile environment to be a part of. We're exploring Classroom. I don't think we're going to be using Classroom this year, uh, but we may sometime in the future. And I think that's another tool where Google is just becoming easier to use in any classroom, regardless of the device that they're working with. Casey, do you have any uh, suggestions for good places to go looking for resources? I would just say iTunes, in terms of materials from the teacher side, iTunes U. I know that I learned a tremendous amount um, in terms of how to write a course on iTunes U. 
how to present material, um, the types of content and the types of material to create. Um, we use some of the, the writing courses that have previously been created on iTunes U and got resources to our students that way. So big fan. I want to give a shout out to a, a site that I visit often for inspiration and it's called edtechjunkies.com. We'll make sure that that one's in the show notes. But Ed Tech Junkies, it's two guys. It's uh, Aaron and Jason, and they do an amazing website that talks all about Apple, all about Google, all about social media and how to use it in the classroom. Lots of great stuff over there. And uh, Sam, you know, if we're looking for great resources, got to put down uh, Cyber Man's site. He's got an amazing wealth of resources there on Google Education and Apple Education. Finally, before we leave, I, I do have to hit community involvement. I mean, going one-to-one is a major financial um, investment here. Getting parents to buy into the fact that their kids are taking home these hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of, worth of equipment. How do you use it? How do they realize it's not a toy? How do they be parents with communications? Um, Jenny and Casey, let me ask you this one. What do you do if you're going to give a kid a device to take home, but the parents don't have internet access or Wi-Fi in their house? Um, so we only had we had one or two of our students with that situation, and so we just make sure that we're assigning work that the students can access and download while they're in school. So any inter, any any um, any um, assignment they would need the internet for, we would have them download the content from iTunes U while in school, get all of the resources in school they would need to do that, and we have a homework club so the students can come after school for an hour or two. Um, a couple days a week and they can do work there um, and so when they go home they have their iPad they have the content everything is saved and they're able to do all the work at home um, and just from the opposite side I would say um, having iTunes U was extremely helpful as a communication tool because it's not it's instead of our website that it has so much more so the parents can basically take the course while the student is taking the course and um, our courses are now live and open to the public, but before they, we went live, we had parents um, individually subscribe to our courses so they could follow the books, they could follow the assignments, and that was a great community builder. Jenny, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm in a, a completely different experience. Um, I used to be in Title I schools where I had that um, as a problem, but now I'm in a private school um, where all of our students do have access to Wi-Fi. So I'm in a, a very nice place. Our kids are fortunate that they, they will have Wi-Fi when they get home. It's actually a requirement in our um, policy for using technology is that you have to have Wi-Fi at home. And that, again, we're private, so we're able to dictate those types of things, which is not realistic for most public school systems. Um, but what we are doing to get parents on board is we are having a parent boot camp where we invite the parents and the students to come to school the first two weeks of school. We've done it leveled, so we're having our ninth through 12th grade students come together. We're having um, then 7th and 8th grade, 5th and 6th, and then we're having 3, 4, and K2. So we've divided it up like that so we can have small numbers and we can teach to that leveled child. So if that you know, student has a different reading level than a high school student will be able to kind of explain the acceptable use policy in their terms with the parent there. So we go through a whole process. We have an outline. It's going to be a 90-minute session. 
where the students and the, and the parent come in, pick up their device, pick up their charging tool, and then they have a checklist of the things that we need to go through. We will have teachers talking about digital citizenship and how that's infused throughout the tech, or how it's infused throughout their curriculum and how it's basically talked about all the time. It's citizenship versus digital, and we don't just teach it once and we're done. So we'll have teachers talking about that curriculum, and then we also talk about setting up your Apple ID, which is different this year, because our students who are under 13 are now going to be able to have that. So we're going through the whole process of the parents going in and approving the Apple ID for their child if they're under 13, which is brand new, so we're going through that as well. Um, we're going to have our IT director talk about maintenance and charging, you know, how to do updates. All of our students will have admin rights on the iPads and on the MacBooks, so they can do all of the updating on their own. When apps need to be updated, they update using their own Apple ID. We feel that's the best model, and a one-to-one -one is to allow it to be a personal device um, and that we don't control it. So there's really no control that we have, so we felt that we needed to let the parents know, look, this thing is not filtered. Um, like when you go home and you go on your Wi-Fi, it's not like it's a, a educational, um, I don't know, it doesn't have a filter on built into it. So just know that you do have the right to look at it. If you feel you need to check the history, if you want to see what apps your child is downloading, you have full right to do that. Um, and we'll just ask, have them do a Q&A at the end and say, you know, did we answer your questions? How, you, how do you feel about your child having this device for their learning environment and bringing it home every night and just letting them feel comfortable um, I think is what we're trying to do here with this boot camp and you know it's there's a lot of different things that the students have to do as well logging into their Google Drive account some of them for the first time and letting the parents know how to do that so if they want to log in and check their Google Classroom they'll have that option so we're, we're just trying to put all the information out there and be proactive I've heard horror stories about where the kids just go and pick up their device bring it home and there's no guidance, there's no conversation with the parents, and it ends up being a nightmare, and the kids don't realize it's a learning tool, not just a toy. You know, I think I'm going to ask the question here on behalf of everybody who's listening. Would you be able to share with us any of those documents that we can put in our show notes? The boot camp docs? Anything like that. I'm sure that people are out there going, I want to hear, I want to see this, I want to read all these different things. I mean, the, yeah. there's a, there are a lot of school districts that are really the opposite of what you just said of, you know, this is locked down. We can see the history. We can get in it, da, 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 da. And you guys having the opposite. Um, do you still have the access to go in and check a history of, of Johnny's device? If Johnny's looking at things that are not of educational value, the students can delete that. And unless there's a way to check that in Google, Google apps for education, I don't know of a way we can check kids history. So mm -hmm. we have not, built that in and again we have the luxury of being in a private school where we don't have to worry about those those federal funds that you get that mm -hmm. you where you can lose all of that if you make a mistake so we're allowing the kids to live in this world that is the real world that we're not trying to protect them so much where everything's locked down you know we're we're gonna say you know we're watching you know big brother is watching you at all times so be careful we're going to say, you know, if we feel that you're, we're, you're on a site that you're not supposed to be, we have every right to take that device and check your history, but we're not going to do that, you know, just because we want to. It's, you're, a, you're an adult, basically. Some of these kids, you know, who are, who are older, who are in high school, um, they might be 18 years old. And so if we say to them, we're going to check every single site you're going on, it's, it's this lack of trust that we have for them. So to me, that is not the way to do it. And I'm so happy. 
thankful to be in the school where I'm at because I had been in a public school system for my entire education or for my entire career and I had a lot of restrictions and I had to really keep the kids on a, um, a short cord you know <laughs> with their technology I had to constantly make sure that everything was locked down in Meraki and the MDM and, and that we could do what we needed to do to keep the, the kids safe, but they weren't learning how to be safe outside of school. Let, yeah. let me ask you this question, Jenny, then I'll bring it over to Casey. Are your devices property of the school or are they property of the students? I mean, does the kid get an iPad or whatever in sixth grade and that's supposedly that, that same device graduates with them in 12th grade or is there a way to, to cycle through these as technology advances what is your school Jenny set up to do and do they keep them after they graduate so we have a three-year lease for all of our devices so when we buy a set of iPads we have them for three years and the student will have that device it is school owned so the, the child will have it for the three years that they're there and if they're still there after three years they'll get a new device to replace it with the latest model. Um, students who leave our school do not take the device with them. So when they graduate, you know, they leave it at the school or if they leave our school early, they, they leave it. So it's not property of the student, but we allow them to make it their property while they have it and while they're a student of ours. Casey, how about you? We do something, we're, we're very similar. So the students basically get their device for the year, um, but we collect it for the long break. So for winter break, we collected it and kind of did an update, and then we collected them at the end of the year. And I know that our um, high schoolers are going to get new devices, and the devices they use are going to kind of be passed down, but that's not going to stay the same, obviously, every year. Um, but just going back to the responsibility and the digital citizenship, um, and teaching the students how to be responsible online um, citizens. So we, we also put a great deal of time into that, into teaching those lessons, into giving the students their responsibility. Um, our students also take their iPads home and have open internet access. Um, and we make as part of our advisory, our daily advisory curriculum, um, we teach a digital portfolio class and we kind of try to go over some of those, how to be a responsible online citizen. Um, we teach them, and, and the other thing is we opened up the app store to the students so that they could um, use it for educational purposes, but that also taught them a lot about data management, um, and if they're downloading tons and tons of games, they're not going to have room for all of the school data that they need. If they're taking tons of selfies and videos, they're also not going to have enough room for that. So just giving them that real-life opportunity and teaching them that lesson is more effective than just telling them and hoping that it works once they leave school. So they're in school. They're in a safe place right now. So we kind of feel like it's our responsibility to teach them those lessons. And at the same time, we give, you know, they have, they have access to download games. And if they're caught playing games in class, then they're going to suffer whatever repercussion um, the teacher determines is necessary. So just teaching them those lessons and that responsibility, um, you know, I agree is, is just really, really important. And because we have these devices, we're in a unique um, and important position to, to teach them. Sam, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that it's it's safe to let your puppets out in the open, or do you feel that you should be collecting a whole bunch of uh, you know dirty and used socks at the end of the year? Well, I think that um, you have to give kids access and trust them, but you also have to let them know that you know they are not invisible, 
you know, I think the integrated approach to digital citizenship is important, where it's not digital citizenship, it's citizenship. This is how we act in our community, on our devices or off of our devices. At our school, likewise, the school owns the devices. We collect them at winter break. I think we collected them at spring break also, and we collected them right before summer break. So they didn't have them to do anything with over the summer. And that's as much about, you know, making sure the kids have quality time off the device as it is controlling breakage and risk. What's your suggestions as far now, Jenny, you said that you're doing a lease, which correct me here. That means if the instrument breaks, it's covered under Apple care. Is that the idea or how does all that work? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's covered under Apple care. So with our iPads, it's $49 when the student breaks it. I think the MacBook might be a little bit more if I'm, it might be $99 or something like that, but so if the if, if the device breaks, the parent pays that forty nine dollars. If the device gets broken, um, so what we're deciding to do is the first breakage. It's going to be um, basically a warning that we'll pay for it this first time. But then if it happens the second and third time, the parents are responsible to pay for it. And with Apple Care, I think it's the third time. I could be wrong about the number, but there's a number that you get to where you can no longer pay that um, that fee they'll actually charge you the full amount if you go to a certain number of times that you've broken it. That, so, that particular instrument, that is, but... right? Mm-hmm. So it, that, that? That, that's all by kid, not if the school has 300 breakages in a year and there's 1,000 kids. It's that particular kid, if that device gets broken two or three times, then there's an issue. Correct. Got it. Guys, we've certainly hit a lot of stuff. Is there anything that we didn't cover today? Anybody want to jump in on that one? This has been a great hour of, of just learning here. Thank you guys so much for all your time. No problem. Sam, I think we got everything. Sounds good. Um, one last question. Where do we get a hold of you guys? And I guess second question is, please, would you consider coming back? Um, Jenny, where do we get a hold of you? How do we find you? I'm on Twitter as TechGirlJenny. And my website is TechGirlSavvy.com. Nice. And uh, Casey, where do we find you? Um, you can also find me on Twitter at C.I. Cohen, and my About Me page is about.me slash Cohen Casey. And you can also find, uh, if you go to iTunes U, you can find all of the string theory courses um, are there and uh, searchable. If you just search string theory schools, they're all there. Nice. Sam, where can we find you? I am at www.mypaperlessclassroom.com and at S-A-M-P-A-T-U-E on Twitter. Well, my friends, that wraps up our 107th episode of the Tech of the TeacherCast podcast. I want to thank our friends Casey and Jenny and Sam for coming on the show today. And I want to say thank you out there for supporting TeacherCast for the last three years. Many of you guys know we just got done a major website overhaul, and we want to say thank you for coming out and supporting it. There's, of course, many ways that you can reach out and connect with TeacherCast each and every week. You can find us on TeacherCast.net. You can, of course, find us and subscribe to our audio and video channels at TeacherCast.net net slash iTunes and TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. Thank you, of course, for making TeacherCast your part of your professional development network, and I hope that you take a moment to share TeacherCast with your PLN. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Please join me and Sam each and every week on TeacherCast.tv for the Tech Educator Podcast on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock. Until next time, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. Good night, everybody.